what was really disheartening when I was doing this research is, and, and that national statistic for, especially for black and brown women is that it's, it's as bad as it was a hundred years ago. I mean, we're at the same maternal death rate that was documented in like 1929, I believe. So a hundred years ago, before we had all of these technological advances that were supposed to improve these outcomes, we still have people in this country that are living at a statistic that's equal to a hundred years ago when none of this existed. So we haven't really improved that for these people. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture political issues and the future of our profession. Hey y'all, I am Jamara and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love, nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife RX. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren, matriarchy now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to finally meet you. Likewise, thanks for agreeing to do this. Oh, absolutely. I was really excited when I got your message. So I'm happy to be able to talk about Wyoming and our weird stuff that goes on here. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So exactly. Welcome back to the Midwood Free Wisdom Podcast. We're going to talk about the wild, wild west. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you give us an intro? Tell us um, your name and where you are in the world and um, what is really concerning you. My name is Jackie George and I live in Southeastern Wyoming. So I live in a town called Medicine Bow and it has just under 300 people, which is not uncommon for a lot of towns in Wyoming outside of our big uh, metropolitan, if you even wanna call them metropolitan areas. Um, I work right now as a birth doula I'm also currently um, going through the Indie Birth Midwifery School. Um, prior to becoming a birth doula, my husband and I are both registered nurses. So I worked in emergency medicine for five years. I worked in surgery for two, and then I worked in hospital administration for two. And um, shortly after our hospital sold, we decided to move here to Medicine Bow, where my husband was raised. And we own a gas station. <laughs> so it was cool. a big change. Um, yeah. My big concern really started when I had my own son in 2020 during COVID, which changed things for everyone, you know, nationwide, worldwide. Um, but that kind of is what spurred me back into birth, which was my original passion from the time I was, you know, a small child. Um, so I started working as a doula after doing some training through Beautiful Birth Choices and Wapio and the Matrona. Um, and I was really just surprised by the lack of resources and the lack of um options for women here. Um, we have approximately 18 hospitals in the entire state that have some form of birth services. 
Um, right now we have 16 midwives registered in the state of Wyoming and only seven of them live in the state of Wyoming. Um, so we also had three hospitals last year close their labor and delivery units. So what that essentially did was leave at least 2000 women who were in a county that had a hospital now several hours from the closest hospital and the closest um, home birth midwife as well. So I was just surprised when I started to look into this, not only at the lack of resources that women have here, but at the stringency of the regulations for midwives in Wyoming and how those regulations really do not facilitate um, an encouragement of midwives to come and practice here. Um, they're very restrictive to midwives in our, our adjacent states who maybe want to get reciprocity with their license. They changed, um, some of these states have changed their regulations to become a little bit less stringent, which then makes it so they don't meet our requirements anymore. So it actually makes it even harder for um, midwives to practice here in-state midwives as well as out-of-state midwives. So there's a lot going on in the state and um, it's very frustrating for my clients, uh, a lot of whom want home birth midwives and don't have access to that option. Um, and so they end up driving to like Colorado to go to a birth center, um, choosing unassisted birth, which is not a bad choice for some people, but not everybody chooses it because it's their first choice. They choose it because right. they just really don't want to go to the hospital. So it's been very right. interesting these last three years kind of seeing all of these things unfold. Or even that not even that they don't want to go to the hospital, that, that there is no one. There's mm -hmm. so many hospitals closing that there's there's no one reasonable for them to choose. They have to relocate. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's so many levels of, of challenge. And mm -hmm. um, I have not personally explored the Wyoming midwifery law, but what I am aware of, I think, is that Wyoming charges its licensed midwives per birth. Is that true? I believe so. I was looking through their minutes um, of the board meetings and our board is like you posted, it is an independent midwifery board. They do have one physician. Um, they have a CNM and then they have a Colorado midwife who represents Colorado as our um, adjacent state with the largest number of midwives. Um, and then it has a community member or a consumer of midwifery services. And then they have CPMs. So it's primarily CPM composed. And I was reading their minutes and they were having a discussion, I believe in their last meeting in 2022 about the fact that their birth fees, um, is where their budget is primarily made up of. So they do pay per birth. They have to report their births and that's where the large portion of their budget comes from is birth fees. And they were concerned in this, in this, uh, meeting because their birth fees were not coming up to the costs that they are, that operations were, um, basically yielding. So their operational costs were higher than their birth fees. And they were talking about having to raise that fee possibly in order to um, meet their budgetary needs. I don't know what the outcome was of that because I haven't seen the most recent minutes published that have addressed mm -hmm. that, but they mm -hmm. did say that in a recent meeting that their birth fees were not covering the costs of operation for the board. So that is and true. And common in many states. Um, when I was in Oregon, the fee kept rising because mm -hmm. the physician complaining about the midwives and so their investigative fees went up and so then their operational fees went up and so then our license went up and essentially we were paying to investigate ourselves and uh, <laughs> our license capped out at about twenty five hundred dollars a year oh wow that is extremely high <laughs> yeah yeah well you know as the as the most investigated midwife in Oregon um I can tell you that 
uh, we were averaging about 20, I would say 15 investigations a year per midway. So yeah, that's insane. it was ridiculous. Yeah, well, see, it goes back even further, right? Because this is where politics and midwifery like run into each other like a head on mm-hmm. collision. This is this is ancient history, but it, it proves the point. In Sun River, Oregon, ACOG held its annual Oregon chapter meeting. And um, this was in 2000, I want to say six, maybe seven, might have been 2008. I'd have to look that up. I don't remember the exact date. But at this ACOG meeting in Sun River, Oregon, uh, Peter Palacio was the president of the Oregon chapter of ACNM. And he and several colleagues passed around at the chapter meeting of ACOG the paperwork for how to complain against a midwife's license. Oh, gosh. And so on the front was the the complaint form. And on the back of this piece of paper was examples of why you might want to complain on a community-based midwife. And this went to the entire state of Obijuans. And then within the next three to five years, our prices went up, our investigations went up, the lawsuits went up, the all of it. So that's crazy. Um, it's it's crazy, but it's also it's actually a pretty great stunt if you really look at this like for-profit medicine, Absolutely. which it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like imagine that there is um, you know, I've made this analogy before. In fact, I just put a post on Instagram about this comparing restaurants to food trucks. I saw that. If, you know, if the food truck board of investigators policy what like whoever's regulating food trucks is made up of majority restaurateurs and then you're not going to have very successful food trucks because they are in competition for people's dollars for food mm-hmm. you know um and it needs to be an independent board that recognizes that they're that they are separate industries even though they serve people for food, they're separate industries and they Mm -hmm. deserve their own boards. They serve different purposes. They can't replicate each other's services. They just exist in the same space. That is the same with birth centers, home births and hospitals. Yeah, absolutely. We can't police each other. It is as ludicrous to imagine that that home birth midwives would police hospital operations as it is to imagine hospital operations would police uh, community-based operations. And we need to separate them. But we can't when we are in this for-profit model. And in fact, when you look around the country, there are states, cities, regions where food trucks are booming because the operations is separate from restaurants. And there's regions where food trucks are illegal because restaurants are involved in the lobbying of where and how and how they operate. So the same is true of midwifery, state by state, mm-hmm. region by region, it's different. And I think that it, it if we, you know, from a, from a for-profit capitalistic standpoint, it kind of all makes sense, but healthcare, healthcare is different. And I think this is what, this is what America has gotten so wrong. And this is what we're fighting so badly is this, this profit before people, when it relates to healthcare is so dangerous and so such a crisis. I mean, I don't know if you saw the recent statistics, but now, oh yeah. The maternal death rate went up significantly during mm-hmm. COVID, um, and it's uh, it's it needs to be addressed. Like that's what our politicians need to address. 
have you brought in this to, have you brought this issue of like per birth charges and lack of services and restrictive trade have you brought it up with any of your politicians in Wyoming um, that's my next plan is I'm working on this yeah. article about the statistics in Wyoming and also including some of those national statistics because I feel like it's really important to say like the microcosm of Wyoming is you know it's reflective of the bigger picture in this country this is not this is a, a unique to Wyoming situation because of our rural location, but it's also not unique in that we're, our issues are reflective of the larger national problem that's going on. It's just, we're seeing it here in a different way because we're rural. So um, yeah. I am working on all of that right now. Um, and I have a few posts on Instagram um, excerpts from that article just because it is so long and Instagram only lets you post so many things, but that is yeah. my plan is to try and, um, get that article to somebody who's a policymaker. Um, yeah. and also to try and to come up with like a rural birth model that might work for Wyoming. So I can say like, I'm not just complaining about this. I feel like there are solutions that would work really well that are specific to our state and the women that make up the yeah. birthing population here. And I think that's the biggest issue that you see in places like Wyoming is that we've adopted these midwifery regulations that are very similar to a lot of other states. It's not like they're overtly different you know they're the same restrictions you see in most states that of what midwives can and cannot do the issue is that our population and our resources are different so you can't really take this template of, right. of regulations and just slap it on any population and have it work right yep yep it's the region it's the distance it's mm -hmm. the lack of other resources yeah. yes Totally. Well, so, so one of the solutions that um, certain regions, like for instance, Alaska has applied in healthcare deserts, specifically maternity healthcare deserts, mm -hmm. is, and uh, Hawaii has employed this to a certain extent as well, um, is to move the pregnant people to the regions that have services. So this is where lots of people from inland Alaska are essentially shipped to um, Anchorage to sit around and wait for their births. Um, same thing with the outlying islands and things like that, like mm -hmm. in, you know, Kodiak, Alaska, various places like that. Same thing in Hawaii, because the only NICU in all of Hawaii is located on Oahu and there's seven mm -hmm. islands. There are people live on all the islands and they, they go to Oahu and then sit at a McDonald, Ronald McDonald house or another um, care locations uh, waiting to go into labor. Um, this is the solution that many of the governments have come up with for people that are at risk, for people that have health risks, you know, have some, some reason to be concerned, and just everyone in certain situations. Um, that is problematic for many reasons. Oh, yeah. Um, have, have they tried this in, in Wyoming yet? Are people leaving their homes to birth closer to hospitals in their last month? Yeah. Um, and it's especially common in the winter time. We have one of the most dangerous highways in the United States in the winter. Um, Interstate 80 um, is very, very dangerous because of the wind and because of the way it lays against the mountains. So um, that interstate is it's the primary interstate through Southern Wyoming that runs from Utah to Colorado. And it was closed 50 times between October and March, I want to say. And that's Whoa. the main highway that most of these women who like Rollins is the hospital, the largest hospital that closed last year. So that's the highway that most women from Rollins are going to take to get to Laramie or Cheyenne where the closest hospitals are. And that is right. about two hours. So sometimes the road is closed, but you get an authorization from DOT, which says, yeah, the road is dangerous, but 
if you have this authorization and you have reason to travel, you know, it is still dangerous, but you can. And then there's other times where it's completely hard closed. They, they, no one can travel on it because it's, the snow is accumulated to the point where there's no travel or the wind is so high that like semi trucks are blowing over. So some of these women can't even get to those facilities at certain times of the year. And that's another reason why it's hard for midwives to then travel to them because the closest home birth midwife right now is in Wheatland, which is for these women in Rollins about two and a half hours. So in the wintertime, it's very hard to find a midwife that will come to your birth because they're afraid they're going to miss it for several reasons. So I have had clients who have stayed in like fifth wheel campers in Laramie to be close to the hospital or at a VRBO in Fort Collins to go to the birth center there. Um, and for some of my clients, that's like three hours away. Um, and not and some to, of these people not, have children. Expense, right? The expense of relocating your life for the last month of your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you have other children, like I had one who was considering doing that, she ended up having a home birth um, with a Utah midwife who had to travel two hours to get to her, but she was going to take all of her kids and stay in a fifth wheel in Laramie to be close to the hospital. And she's from Rock Springs. So that's like almost four hours for her. Um, So it's not something that the state has done. It hasn't, it's not something the state has done. The state hasn't been like, we're going to relocate you closer. It's like, if you live in one of these areas, you're kind of on your own as far as figuring out how you're going to do it. So women are making that decision on their own whether or not they want to relocate. But there were women in the wintertime that were stuck in Laramie that were trying to get back to Rollins. They'd gone to like their 35 week appointment or something. And then the roads closed and they're stuck at a rest area with like two kids trying to get back to their house, which is two hours away. (laughs) Um, We had a Marshall deliver a baby here in Medicine Bow. Um, We actually, they did an article about it where the rural Marshall services were talking about how they deliver babies all the time because what is the rural marshal service i'm not aware of that there uh it's it's a brand it's like it's uh like a remnant of the town marshal from like the wild west so they're like a police officer but they're called the marshal so we have two marshals here at medicine bow and hannah which is a town about 15 miles from us has a marshal service so it is law enforcement but it's like you know the wild west the town marshal with the badge and we still have those (laughs) but they deliver babies frequently they deliver the baby because when you call, that's who shows up. Because yeah, it's a lot of times it's women who just they can't get to the hospital um, because they're either traveling and their labor is either precipitous or just it's just Im- imminent that they're going to have their baby. Um, they came to someone's house who was having a precipitous birth. It was her fourth baby. So it's it's a lot of you know uh, kind of figuring it out on your own as far as you're either covered sure. by the Good Samaritan law or your family can help you. That's kind of yeah. the only thing that doesn't. That's, that's the exception to the midwifery law is if you're yeah. helping someone in an emergency or your, their family member is helping them. So, so n- nothing about, you know, planning ahead and preventing poor outcomes. Like that would make the most sense, right? Mm-hmm. Oh so it's been well, very interesting to look at that. And, you know, I try to let people know when I visit with them, I'm like, this is where I'm located. I'm located on the way to the facility. If you get to a point where you have to stop, you know, my husband and I, my husband was a flight nurse. So I was an emergency nurse. You know, I'm, I'm a doula. I'm like, you can stop. And at least there's someone who can help you. Who's somewhat knowledgeable about some of this stuff, but it's, it's kind of scary that that's, that's the place where we are right now. It really does sound like the wild west. Here's a statistic for you from 2015 to 2019. There were at least 89 obstetric unit closures in rural hospitals across the United States. By 2020, and now it's gotten even worse, but by 2020, 
about half of rural community hospitals had no obstetric care, according to the American Hospital Associations. Um, and like we're hearing there, mm-hmm. there's even more, even more closure since then. The statistics that I've also followed recently is that 50% of U.S. counties have no obstetrical care. And um, there are, like you said, women who have hours to drive to get any kind of care. Yeah, I was looking at that for my article. And actually, there's the March of Dimes has what's called a maternity care desert dashboard. And I was looking at that for Wyoming. And for the state of Wyoming, women with access to OB care or a birth center, between having low access, which is only one, or no access, it's um, over 90% of the counties in the state. Oh, so yeah. And that's this was when those hospitals that closed in 2022 were still open. So I think right. it's, it's again worse. There's three less now. Wow. And of course, aside from the anxiety and the fear and the logistics, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a really big reason why this is concerning. And it's because of the increased higher risk of pregnancy-related and birth-related complication. According to a study by the Commonwealth Fund, those living in maternity care deserts are three times as likely to die during pregnancy and labor and delivery in the immediate postpartum. And of course that whole critical year afterwards Mm -hmm. um, when when they're in this space. So um, we have this highly increased maternal mortality rate. Um, Now uh, the United States as a whole Mm -hmm. is at 23.8 per 100,000 births or one death for every 5,000 live deliveries. And in Wyoming and other healthcare desert areas, it's three times higher than that. And then you add the statistics for black and brown folks. Oh yeah. That's even higher. It moves us into um, maternal death rates that are, um, that are typically known for very low resource areas of the world. And they don't look like us statistics. They don't. And that's, what was really disheartening when I was doing this research is, and, and that national statistic for, especially for black and brown women, is that it's it's as bad as it was 100 years ago. I mean, we're at the same maternal death rate that was documented in like 1929, I believe. So 100 years ago, before we had all of these technological advances that were supposed to improve these outcomes, we still have people in this country that are living at a statistic that's equal to a hundred years ago when none of this existed. So we haven't really improved that for these people or it's just gotten so much worse since COVID like we were talking about. But I mean, I just think that that's crazy that in a hundred years we have really not made that many improvements overall. And especially for people who need that the most and who are the most disenfranchised when it comes to this type of care. Well, so, um, One solution that, of course, you and I and many other people are on the bandwagon about is that we need to have our public payer sources reimburse midwives appropriately. Because if they could, if they could be paid appropriately by Medicaid, I bet midwives would flock to your state. It's beautiful. And people need them, right? Mm -hmm. So is the only barrier to services financial? I think some of it is, you know, we do have a large population of people um, in Wyoming that are under the care of Medicare and Medicaid. So 
having worked in the administrative side of the hospital, you see what that reimbursement looks like, you know, as you go through and you look at surgical cases, for instance, because the last hospital I worked at was a surgical hospital is your reimbursement is typically like around 10% of the total cost. And so then you have this mandatory markdown from Medicare and Medicaid that says, this is what we're going to take off of that total bill that we're not going to pay. And we're not going to be responsible for, we're going to pay you this much. So it, it, there is an incentive to improve reimbursement because it's hard to get practitioners to take Medicare and Medicaid patients because their reimbursement is so low that your volume has to be really high. And then, you know, what happens with care when your volume goes up is that you reduce the time that you can spend with your patients and your care typically yep. is not as good. Yep. Exactly. And I think that's what yep. we're seeing in this, the nation nationwide is that you have high volumes of care, you have poor reimbursement, and then yep. your care quality just overall decreases, which is exactly what we were just talking about. Yeah. Yep. But I think some of it too is the, our adjacent states. So Colorado and Utah are the only other states where midwives are coming in and getting Wyoming licensure. Um, yep. Their states, their licensing fees are so much lower and their regulations are much less stringent. So I think that is a plays a large part as well, because why would I pay $1,200 every two years to be licensed in Wyoming to have more stringent regulations on my practice than in my state where I, I live currently? Um, I spoke yeah. to a midwife who practices in Colorado who said that despite the fact that there are several midwives who have Wyoming licenses in Colorado, most of them do not practice on them. So you look at the list of people who are licensed in midwife in Wyoming, and then you kind of have to start subtracting the people who don't really use their licenses. So you actually see that we have fewer. Or they sit for one client a year or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, like I know yeah. there is at least one that will come, but many of them, you know, they said the same thing that you did about Oregon, which is that when I come to Wyoming, not only does it cost me so much more to renew my license, um, but when they do a hospital transfer, the midwife and the client are treated poorly, which I have seen. And then also the reporting, the self, the, the, the infighting of reporting midwives from other midwives or from the hospital. And so mm -hmm. to them, it's not worth it is what she was telling me is it's just, it's so hard because it's almost like Wyoming doesn't want them to practice. And it, mm -hmm. it does seem that way from the regulations as well. Um, like Colorado, you have many paths to licensure. You can go to a MEEK accredited school. You can do a portfolio evaluation. Um, there's like four or five different options. And CNMs, uh, Utah, mm -hmm. yeah, and CNMs, and we do have CNMs that can practice here in Wyoming as well, of course. But I don't. But they practice independently, so there are none of them who do home births. Is that right? We have one that I know of that does a home that does home births. Um, she is up near Casper, which is in the middle of the state. Does Wyoming um, have um, have uh, CNMs who don't have to have um, supervision by OBs? Are they independent? Um, I'm not 100% sure on the CNM licensure and regulate uh, licensure restrictions of, I, I don't believe so, because uh, I know that the CNM that okay. um, practices here in okay. Wyoming, she came to the uh, Dr. Stu's uh, Birthing Instincts okay. Breach Workshop, and she's okay. under the AMA. So that was, that was how she was reimbursed for her CEUs and things like that. Was she was reimbursed from who? the American Medical Association. So she couldn't get the Meek CEUs. We she needed the AMA CEUs when she you came to do the ACNM. So, so she was telling me it was the AMA and I don't know if maybe that was just the like a mistype in her email but she said I can't use these for my CEUs. I have to have AMA CEUs. Hmm, I don't know. Um ACNM does take Meek um credits usually. Mm -hmm. Um but the ACM the ACMB does 
does issue their own credit. So maybe that's what it is. Well, um, I would be very happy if um, CNMs are independent in Wyoming. I um, had thought that they were part of the 25 states or so that do require supervision, but it would be great. I think you're correct. Um, but again, like I've been so focused on the home birth, I do know that she um, does do home birth practice, um, but I'm Maybe not sure how that works. Back, that'd be great. Well, in general, um, according to the March of Dimes, there are over 7 million Americans who live in these healthcare deserts. Um, that feels like a big enough number to get national attention. Why, why mm -hmm. does it seem like nobody's paying attention? Well, it's interesting because I did get called by one of the uh, reporters that was writing an article about that CDC report that talked about the increase in maternal mortality rates and things like that. And she was talking mm -hmm. about maternity mm -hmm. care deserts. Um, it was a CNN uh, mm -hmm. reporter. And we, I was trying to talk to her about that. Like she wanted to know about Wyoming and the maternity care deserts in Wyoming. So I was talking to her about, you know, that the hospital piece is only like 50% of the puzzle. There's a, a larger part here where women actually have access to nothing, home birth, right. midwives and hospitals. And it was interesting because she said she wanted to talk to some of my clients about what their experience was. So I gave her a few names and told her like, I have this one who traveled three hours to go to a birth center. I had this one who chose an unassisted birth. And she said, well, we're not really interested in people who are wanting to birth out of the hospital. We're really just interested in women who want to birth in the hospital and don't have access. And so that to me was kind of disappointing because it was like, huh. they were just disregarding half this of the problem. You know, yeah, it's not it's just women who don't have access to hospitals. It's women who don't yeah. have access to whatever their, any, their choices. Any, um, any choice, right. Mm -hmm. So I think that part of the reason that that's not being focused on is because as usual, the focus is always going to be on the hospital and, you know, we're mm -hmm. failing in the hospital. So how can we continue to improve this without recognizing that maybe it's the hospital model is not necessarily working very well and that we mm -hmm. keep trying to force it to work on all of these birth scenarios and make them all the same instead of saying, maybe we need to be expanding this and being a little bit more creative about how we solve this problem. And it's not just the hospital that needs to be involved in that solution. So it was interesting when she said that, cause I thought, well, this might be part of the problem is that we're, we're really fixated on this one aspect. On the monopoly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, birth centers are one option that really helps to solve some of these problems. Mm -hmm. um, are there any birth centers in Wyoming? There are a couple that are, um, run by home birth midwives. There's one in Wheatland and there's one up in Powell and then there's one in Whirland. So there's two of those are in the Northeast or excuse me, Northwest corner of the States close to like where Yellowstone is. And then one mm -hmm. of them is down here about an hour and a half from me. So in the Southeastern part of the state, um, those are one room birth centers because that is one way that you can operate a birth center here in Wyoming is you don't need a license if it's one room, it has to meet certain criteria. There is one that they're trying to open in Cheyenne, which is the capital of the state. And that's in the very, very <laughs> Southeast corner of Wyoming. Um, they're trying to open an actual freestanding birth center with multiple rooms, similar to our current closest one, which is in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, right. I don't know what the ETA is on that. I do know that they have a midwife who's currently seeing clients there. So I'm hopeful that that's something that's going to open soon. Um, but that would be the only one in the entire state. So that has more than one room and that meets the criteria that of a freestanding birth center. Mm -hmm. So other than that, it's a single room and that's just the way that the state allows you to run it without it being licensed because they know that if you only have one person at a time, you have the correct number of staff 
to take care of that person in the event of any kind of an emergency. Um, so that's, that's what we have right now. I love that they're worried about staff and space. I mm-hmm. mean, that just, it's really humorous to me. Well, and that's why the hospitals have closed here. Yeah. It's the same thing. They can't maintain what is deemed to be a safe staffing ratio without hiring travel, travel nurses, which are exponentially more expensive. So their budgets yeah. just couldn't sustain hiring people at that high hourly rate and keeping these yeah. maternity units open because maternity units don't make money unless you see a lot of patients and you do a lot of interventions. So yeah, it's the high risk, uh, long-term monitoring of mothers and babies that makes money. Mm-hmm. Well, um, interesting. Have you brainstormed any other solutions, um, that would help this, uh, this crisis that's going on? Well, I've looked at some other models, um, not just with Colorado and Utah, but also with other um, states that have these kind of long distances between um, out-of-hospital birth locations and the hospital. Um, Utah is a great example because they have a similar, in writing, they have a similar constitutional uh, stance on healthcare. That's Wyoming. Wyoming's constitution says that everyone who lives here has the right to healthcare autonomy. So they have the right to make their own healthcare decisions. Um, that was upheld recently in Teton County when it came to the trigger ban on abortion. Uh, Teton County, they overturned that trigger ban because um, they said it, it violates the right of people in the state to make autonomous decisions about their healthcare. So I thought that was interesting that they applied it that way because that is a reproductive issue. So I thought, well, if you're going to apply that to abortion, why are we not applying that to the state in general, Um, which is what Utah does. Utah does not require direct entry midwives to have a license because they say, we do not believe that we should be telling women who who can attend their birth and where they can give birth. So they have no restrictions on license. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I know there are other states that do have optional licensure. So that's one option. And Oregon took theirs away. Um, I think Minnesota has it. Cause I know Margot Blackstone from okay. in, from Indie yeah. birth does not have a license, okay. but she's practicing. So I, okay. I knew Oregon did, but I didn't know they took it away. I knew they had it, I'm but then pretty sure I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that in, we, we had a huge spike in fetal demise in 2012. And as a result, oh, the whole yeah. thing reevaluated. Well, um, it sounds like with all the increase in reporting too, that was probably hard to maintain with people with the, yeah. all the investigations into midwives, <laughs> but still there but you can't call yourself a midwife i can't remember but i I, believe there's there are um regulations as far as what how you can charge and how you can advertise so and i think that's what margo mentioned to me so it may still be there but it sounds like it's if it is it's very different (laughs) yeah i moved away um you know almost 10 years ago so i i'm not um super up on it but yeah it changed a lot well um i'm i'm fascinated to talk to you and since you're not a midwife would Mm -hmm. you tell us Kind of what got you into this? I, I know you said your own birth. Um, what, yeah. what got you to do all of this research and dig in so deep? Well, it started with just my, I had the same issue when my son, when I was pregnant with my son, I live very rurally and it was COVID. It was the very beginning of COVID when I got pregnant. I got pregnant in January of 2020. And shortly after that was when all of this kind of exploded and he was born in October. So there was still you know, no vaccine, which there's a lot of talk about whether that was helpful or not. But at this, regardless, at the time there was no vaccine. So the hospitals were very, very um, on high alert about 
you know, having people come to the hospital and transmissibility and all those things. And it was also very hard to get someone to come do a home birth because of the same thing. You know, you're coming into someone's home, it's COVID, no one knows how horrible it is or how dangerous it is or transmissible it is. So I was kind of, I felt very isolated. You know, my husband couldn't come to some of my appointments. Luckily they changed that. But then when I went to the hospital to have my son, my mother couldn't come. Um, it was just me and my husband and a bunch of strangers. So at seven, he was born right at shift change. So you had all of the night shift staff, all of the day shift staff. None of us are vaccinated, which is kind of what this was all hinging on. And somehow to me in my head, I was like, this makes no sense that I, my, my family is not here, but all of these strangers are here in this room with me and my husband. And I, it was very eye-opening. And I also felt like, you know, if I feel this way as someone who has worked in healthcare and is familiar with the hospitals, I feel like I was alienated and I didn't have the support that I needed. And my husband didn't have any real support because he was my only person. I thought, what are women dealing with who are, who have never navigated this system before? You know, how scary would this be for someone who hasn't maybe never had to go to the hospital, which a lot of people don't. So that kind of got me into this um, desire to start figuring out how I can support women and help them become more educated about their options. And, um, that started by, I was trying to put together a Wyoming birth services directory because I was like, what would be great is if women could go to one place and they could figure out all of the midwives, all of the doulas, all of the birth photographers, all these things. And I started doing the research and I was like, there is not many of these things in this state. Um, and so that kind of got me started looking at it um, and looking at the regulations and maybe why aren't there, so, why are there so few midwives? What's, what's the barrier to this? And it kind of just snowballed out of my son's birth into just wanting to support women and then trying to figure out a way to do that made it made me kind of more aware of the fact that it's, it, there's so few resources here it's very hard to put together a list of resources when there aren't a whole lot of them there's and so that's what the- got me into that there's, yeah exactly so yeah well so have you thought i mean you became a doula right um, mm-hmm. and you're obviously an educator have you thought of becoming a provider well, and I'm doing, I am doing the Indie Birth Midwifery School. That is um, through uh, Marin Green and Margo Blackstone. Those are, they're both midwives. Um, and mm-hmm. it is an online school with an apprenticeship component, like a lot of schools mm-hmm. are set up right now. Um, and it is, they are not MEEK accredited because it's more of a traditional path. But if someone was to desire to go through like a portfolio evaluation, if they were in a state where you were going to do that and you wanted licensure, they're, um, educational piece does meet the criteria for like a portfolio evaluation. Um, but their focus is primarily on, um, independent traditional midwifery. So, um, <laughs> like Margot has practices in the state, Minnesota, where licensure is optional. And then, um, mm-hmm. Marin is, she was licensed for 10 years and then decided to um, return her CPM credential and her license. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's something that I'm working through right now. I don't know how, where that will all go as far Mm -hmm. as at the end, it's been very hard for me to find an apprenticeship just because again, it's the same thing as my clients finding providers is that there aren't very many. And (laughs) exactly. So it's the same thing that's, that's kind of providing barriers to care are also providing barriers to creating more midwives, because how are we educating them and apprenticing them if there aren't very many people to apprentice. And I know that they're, they're willing to, and the midwives here have taken on apprentices, but there's only so many of them 
So it's hard for them to do. And so not only is it hard to call midwives from other states and be like, come to Wyoming and live here and practice, but it's hard to train new ones that already live here because there are so few people to do that training. So that's the biggest barrier, I think, to new midwives here is finding a way to finish that education. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, what an, uh, what an adventure you have in front of you. I can see how, um, how powerful it's going to be when you get on the other side and are able to put some of this, um, political pressure and, um, and really imagine a way forward for your state. Are you long-term Wyoming? You've been there a long time. It'll be. Yeah, I think we're going to stay in the state somewhere. Um, I'd like to be closer to my family. They live in Idaho. So we've talked about moving up to like the Cody area, which is again, up by Yellowstone. Um, it's, it's got a lot more trees <laughs> and mountains where I live right now. It's very flat and it's very mm-hmm. windy. <laughs> so, and it's like negative 20 degrees in the winter time. So that's fun. Um, but I do, my, we do want to stay in Wyoming. My husband is a lifelong Wyoming resident. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a lifestyle where once you kind of start doing it and you're in it, it's very self-sustaining which again Mm -hmm. is why it's interesting that we're so stringent when it comes to birth rights, because people here, it's a very second amendment state. I mean, it's, it's a constitutional carry state. You don't even need a license to have a gun, um, to carry a gun. We, all of our food, we either hunt and bring in ourselves or we go, my husband's family has a ranch. So they take cattle from that ranch if we don't get deer or elk. So, I mean, we never buy meat from the grocery store. My father-in-law gives us eggs. So it's like, you're very used Mm -hmm. to being self-sustaining. So it's, it's hard to, to reconcile what's going on in the birth world and, and the, the few options and the restrictions that are placed on moms who are like used to making their own decisions and used to having autonomy in their everyday life to then feel like they're kind of constrained by what's available to them. So yeah. that's and my probably approach moving forward. To have more midwives because that would mm-hmm. put that pressure on there. So yeah. what's your, What's your advertisement for midwives who are listening and looking for a place to practice? What, what would you tell them about Wyoming? What, what would bring them in? The, That's a the, great question. the pressure, the political pressure and the price is notwithstanding. There I are mean, it's a beautiful place. There are midwives it's a, who graduate every year who are looking for a place that's not saturated. Tell right. them, tell them what's, what's beautiful about Wyoming. Uh, the great thing about Wyoming is that I think you can become somebody who comes in on the ground floor of this and maybe makes a change and can say, and can have ownership in saying, you know, I really went, I went to Wyoming. I saw what the, what the deficits were and what the issues were. And I was able to be a part of making that change. And I was able to come in as somebody who maybe is looking more for a way to, to really serve women and less about like the, the reimbursement of the regulations. Somebody who's like, how can I become an activist in this and, and really serve women, but also be part of something that shapes a change. And I think that's, if you're really wanting to come and do something at that grassroots level, I think this would be a great opportunity to educate women about um, what their options really are and how they do have a voice and to involve them in the pol- political side of midwifery, even though, you know, mid- politics notwithstanding, there are great parts about Wyoming. It's a beautiful state. There's no income, state income tax here. That's fantastic. <laughs> if you have your own business, um, you get a lot of good tax breaks there as well. That's why a lot of businesses move to Wyoming. They get great tax breaks. So if you're a midwife, it's your own business, you're going to get a lot of benefits there. Um, and it's just, you can go anywhere in the state and 
we have so many different ecosystems. You can go up to the park and be in Yellowstone and see mountains and snow and buffalo and grizzly bears. And then you can come down here where it's plains and antelope. And it's a really, really cool state. It's just, it's a place where you come and you, you basically forge your own way. And I think that that's really appealing for some people, especially if they're coming from states where there are a lot of problems going on, not necessarily healthcare wise, but just politically, or if there's like high taxes, um, or, it, you know, they're saturated with cities like California, we have a lot of people come here from California, and that's a point of contention for some people. But some people come here because they're looking for that freedom. They're looking for a way to be like, it might be harder, but at least I can do what my heart tells me I need to do. And so that's a great thing about this state. I just want to see it flourish in the birth world as well. I want the birth world to reflect the spirit of this state. Love that. A lot of folks who are either midwife clients or midwives themselves um, have a co-occurring question around um, educational freedom. Um, mm-hmm. I'm assuming homeschooling is pretty common there. Yeah, it is. I do have a lot of um, friends and clients who um, homeschool. Um, there's a lot of people here who um, are focused on like homesteading. Uh, one of my mm-hmm. clients, she has a farm and she's a part of a, like a farming co-op. And in lieu of my fee, she paid me my entire birth support fee in meat, which was awesome because, <laughs> you know, meat is not cheap in this economy. So when she was, they were trying to buy a house. And of course she was like, I can pay you. And I was like, let's come up with something that will work for both of us. I still have a family that I have to feed. So this is right. actually more valuable to me right. because it's high quality product. And right. It, it serves a, a d- dual purpose there. It's actually less expensive for me than going to the store and buying this myself, which fortunately yeah. we don't have to do very much, but now we definitely don't because I have tons of meat in my freezer from one of my clients. So there's a lot of that barter system, which is, is great. Is is I have that freedom to not just, you know, have just one fee, but like if I meet with somebody and they have that type of resource, it's really nice to be able to do that exchange. And that worked mm-hmm. really well. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I think there's great. a lot of turned harder um, work in midwifery because it's it's such um, you know taxes and and um, mm-hmm. resources, inflation, and all the reasons. I'm a fan. I'm I I'm really supportive. I I, I used to do that all the time when I had a active practice in Oregon. People have got some kind of skill, some kind of resource, some kind of product. Like I'm for it. <laughs> I am too. And I feel like it kind yeah. of carries that spirit of like midwifery mm-hmm. from the start, you know, that, that true spirit of like what traditional midwifery really was all about. And that was like, you know, yeah. back in the, you know, colonial times, it was a lot yeah. of it was barter system. And so I feel like it kind of, it, it harkens back to that time when it was yeah. not, it was not uncommon to have a midwife in every village. And that was just, and so it kind of, I I like the way that feels. (laughs) And maybe that's what, um, what Wyoming needs a midwife in every town, huh? Well, hopefully we can send you some people who are interested from this conversation. (laughs) Well, I think it would be fantastic. I mean, it would be wonderful to have people who are coming who maybe have ideas who've, who've already practiced in other States and have Mm -hmm. ideas that they've practiced under, you know, what worked and what didn't. And then people who have never practiced, who are new. I mean, it's just anytime you get into a field, you're so gung-ho and you're so excited that that's the perfect time to come and strike while the iron is hot, you know, before you've been in practice and maybe you've become a little bit disillusioned by regulations or by the, the components of your state that make it frustrating, like lack of resources, for instance. So new graduates who are really feeling like, 
I have this fire in me and I have so much to give and I want to make a change. This is a great place to do it. This is a great place to be involved. And I know that the families here would be thrilled to have resources. Um, That's awesome. Well, can you name a couple of towns that need midwives? Uh, well, I know like Rollins, for instance, is the one whose hospital just closed and they are pretty much smack dab in the middle of Southern Wyoming. So we have a lot of people now traveling two hours plus, um, that hospital did serve a lot of women in the rural communities all around that. So, uh, Rollins would be a great place. Um, they need some in like Sheridan County. So up near the Montana border, um, Teton County actually for being extremely resourced, they have a lot of very wealthy, like billionaire people that live in this County. They have one small little hospital and Mm -hmm. that's it. So for some, for a County that has that much funding, I'm surprised that they don't have more resources. So even the wealthier counties in Wyoming need midwives. So it's really the whole state. I mean, we've got 90% of counties that don't have any access to anybody. So Wow. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, tell tell people um, what where they can reach you, where they can follow you. Um, I am on Instagram and Facebook as Matru Prima Birth. So M-A-T-R-U-P-R-E-M-A Birth Services. And then I also have a website. It's uh, matruprimabirthdoula.com. And that is also uh, my email, matruprimabirthdoula at gmail.com. All of that contact information is on my Facebook page and my Instagram page. And I'm always looking for people to collaborate with. Um, uh, if you're in a rural community and you're not in Wyoming, it's still great to connect with people who are kind of facing the same issues because then you can really brainstorm and you can start to talk about like, how can we advocate for, what are some policies that have worked in other states? What are some models that have worked in other states? How can we build a rural birth model through different channels that might be helpful in making some changes for people and getting things um, to be a little bit more available and giving them more choices. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to hopefully connecting with some people and, and coming up with some ideas. Awesome. Well, we're happy to be a, a connector for you and it's Yay! been great to talk to you, Jackie. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. I really appreciate it. Thank you.